Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. Stream limited series Apples Never Fall, starring Annette Bening and Sam Neill, and The Tattooist of Auschwitz, based on the best-selling novel. Plus, TV movie Mr. Monk's Last Case and the semi-animated In the Know from Mike Judge and Zach Woods. Finally, head to the Highlands with Alan Cumming in the hit competition series The Traitors. Peacock is your consideration destination this Emmy season. From Academy Award winner Steven Zalian. This is what I do for a living. Top critics agree Netflix's Ripley is masterful, sumptuous, and suspenseful. He's a liar. It's his profession. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ripley is the finest thing TV has offered in many years. The Guardian gives it five stars and raves. Andrew Scott is absolutely spellbinding. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series, Ripley. I like the name. It is Tuesday, January 24th. Happy Oscar nominations day to all who celebrate. I'm certainly in that group. Most people, I think they pay attention to the Oscars for the first time when the nominations come out. But for a group of marketers and publicists, the Oscar noms are actually the culmination of months of work campaigning to win the votes of the 10,000 or so members of the Academy. It's actually a nuanced job, just like any political campaign. There's constituencies to court, a narrative to create, press hits, hyper-targeted advertising, charm campaigns by the stars who basically travel the world to film festivals and screenings and parties and receptions designed to win votes, or at least in this first phase of campaigning, to just get people to watch the movie in the first place. At this point, you probably know that. Like, there's you know a lot of stuff out there about Oscar campaigns these days. There's a playbook for this stuff. It's been going on since the 90s. Actually, it's been going on since the beginning of the Oscars more than 90 years ago. But it's really ramped up in the 90s and 2000s with Harvey Weinstein, some of the tactics that he employed. But this year, something pretty innovative and impactful happened. And it's actually pretty hilarious. Andrea Riseborough, a prolific British actress, she got a Best Actress nomination for playing this spiraling alcoholic character in a tiny movie called To Leslie. There were gasps in the theater this morning during the announcement, and with good reason when she got nominated. Almost nobody has seen this movie. Grossed about $30,000 in U.S. theaters. Not on a streaming service. And she hasn't even been mentioned by the media or the precursor awards like the SAGs or the Golden Globes before this nomination. Instead... Riseborough's director, Michael Morris, and his wife, the actress Mary McCormack, they launched a grassroots campaign for the ages, aggressively asking their friends and colleagues to watch the film and say nice things on social media. It's a pretty cynical tactic, and it really kind of exposes how much of a political old boys and girls club that Hollywood is, but it definitely worked. Howard Stern, he was in private parts with McCormick. He started plugging the movie on his show. And the list of endorsers they got for this movie is insane. Everyone from Gwyneth Paltrow to Ed Norton to Charlize Theron, Mia Farrow, Jennifer Aniston, Amy Adams. They all either posted on social media about the movie, telling people to see it, or hosted specific screenings for Academy members to try to drum up support among the acting branch, which votes for Best Actress. These kinds of tactics aren't really that unusual in Oscar campaigns. I've seen a million of them over the years, but I've never seen this kind of scale for a movie this small. 
And amazingly, it worked. Riseboro beat out a bunch of rivals backed by campaigns that spent several millions of dollars to get these nominations. So I asked Danny Weinstein to come on the show. She's a veteran communications executive and marketer. She's worked on Oscar campaigns for the Weinstein Company. She's not related to Harvey. Focus features. Her current job is running communications for 101 Studios, the company that makes Yellowstone and the Taylor Sheridan shows. She's been in the trenches on Oscar campaigns, knows the dark arts, all the tricks of the trade, how people pull off things like this shock Andrea Riseborough Oscar nomination. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Danny Weinstein, who is the Chief Communications Officer of 101 Studios. Welcome, Danny. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. So you are a veteran of many, many Oscar campaigns. And you now, because you work for 101 and you guys are mostly a television company, you are not involved in this year's Oscar campaign. I want to say that right up front. You have no horse in this race at all, but you are a keen observer of the tactics and strategies that go into Oscar campaigns. And obviously the story out of the nominations this morning was this nomination for Andrea Riseborough for a film called To Leslie, which almost nobody has seen, except the actor's branch of the Motion Picture Academy, which saw it and liked it enough to nominate her for Best Actress. So how impressive is that feat to you, a veteran campaigner? It is really, really impressive. And it also shows just, I think the first ten of like awards campaigning is like, People have to see it to vote for it. And that is really the seat. And people are like, oh, what's the secret sauce? What's the playbook? It's like, it truly is. And I think this nomination shows you that. It's that getting people to see it and getting your champions. And this one clearly from social media and everything had a lot of champions and a lot of very influential champions. Right. So I want to get into how that happens because I've done some reporting on this subject. And, you know, this film was at South by Southwest. It actually it has a 98% Rotten Tomato rating. So it's the critics liked it. Yeah. Uh, it has this centerpiece performance. She plays kind of a very struggling alcoholic. I have not seen the film. I should be upfront about that. Um, but from everything that I've read about it, she it's a very it's a powerful performance. Some thought it was a little mu- a little bit much for their taste. Others did not, but it was never part of the awards conversation. And there are many reasons why that happens. One, it was a very small distributor, Momentum Pictures, who doesn't really have a budget to do this. I've talked to people at Momentum, um, which is owned by E1, they did a very small campaign. There was, you know, they paid the $20,000 that it cost to put the film on the Academy portal, and they did a couple agency screenings when it came out, but it never really caught attention at the beginning of the campaign. And then the filmmaker and his wife, Mary McCormick, who's an actress, they had a ton of friends in the industry and they just started calling people. It started with Howard Stern, who mentioned her on the show and talked about how great the performance was. You know, Mark Marin is in the film and he had her, uh, had Andrea Riseborough on his show, which is very popular. And they just started getting this grassroots support from other actors. And then when they started posting, other actors saw it and it kind of, picked up from there. And this is without a lot of spend, a lot of, you know, paid spend on this. Um, It seems like this is the kind of a new model almost for an awards campaign. If you don't have the money of a Netflix or a traditional studio to buy all the ads and do the screenings, you can get the attention and get people to at least check out the movie based on these very powerful social platforms. 
I had, you know, it's interesting. It's that you've also seen studios and streamers spend a lot of money and not get awards, right? right? So there is like the power of like, yes, it's great to have money. Yes, it's great to have marketing. It definitely gets people to know you're out there. But it is kind of that hand-to-hand combat campaign that is so impressive. And it actually does get people to nominations and wins more often than not, even with all that spent. So describe the hand-to-hand combat. What do you mean by that? It's this. It's this. So hand-to-hand is a little old school, just how old it is. I really am. <laughs> but social media, I guess, is now what that is, right? It's getting people you talk to and people that you either work with or in your personal or private life to know what you're thinking and to know what you love. And it used to be that you would have all these dinners and you would have all these luncheons and you would get voters usually in there to kind of meet and greet and talk to people and talk about the work, right? To get them to know what's there. Now social media kind of gets that for you. Ads aren't personal. They get people to know something's out there and that Rotten Tomatoes is high or that the critics love it. And maybe that's a a way to get people interested in watching. Well, and and it winnows the field because if you're a voter and you're looking, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and you're not going to watch all the films. That was actually my point. It's that idea of like back in the day, even when you were getting VHS tapes, you were getting DVDs. If you look at piles of an account, and I'm a voter, like you look at piles of them, it's like, okay, well, and or the same thing now with streaming. Like there's so many choices. What am I going to watch? And they're not going to get through all of them. They're not going to see every movie that's up. If you go on the Academy screening room, there's, it's an insane amount of product. So what am I pressing play on today? What am I going to watch? And sometimes that comes from people you follow on social, your friends, your neighbor, whoever is talking to you and saying, I saw this. So it is, it's like if you liken almost to a political campaign, how important a grassroots effort is. Now, this is a kind of a high level grassroots effort. When you have a Mary McCormack, you have CAA, you have her team that is behind her, which is a very well-connected team of people. So. But I will tell you from an award standpoint, when you have hosted screenings or so you will say, can so-and-so host a screening for me to have their friends come? Can they moderate a Q&A with me? And then Kate Winslet did one for her. So to get that level of recognizable people that are willing to host a screening for you or to moderate a panel for you or to get out there and just say, I watched this, like a Howard Stern, like that's an impressive amount of word of mouth for you. And I've done so many campaigns where you will beg people. You're like, didn't you used to work with so you go down like a full IMDb page and you're like, didn't you work with so-and-so and this thing back in whatever day would they host something for you? And that's, it's a struggle to get people to do that. So the fact that she had this groundswell of people wanting to be supportive of this film is really, is really impressive. And I did watch the movie and her performance in itself is it's very personal which also really works with voters it's a very with actors funny, in particular which as you know is the biggest branch in the academy so right. you're having actors vote for actors and when you watch something like that um it's, it's it was it's an impressive performance so a, a couple things here that i think are going on um one is that the academy itself and especially the actor branch has become more global over the past five years. The people that they've added to the organization are all over. So the days of putting together those curated dinners in LA and New York and expecting the Academy to all show up, it's much more difficult to reach them. And that gives more power to these social media platforms where if you see Ed Norton, an actor you respect, 
tweeting about a movie you've never heard of, perhaps you check that out. And, you know, when you see Kate, Kate Blanchett standing up at the Critics' Choice Awards, using her own time accepting her award to call out Andrea Riceborough, that's something that I think actors take into consideration. But the other thing here is that this is not new. As you mentioned, campaigns have been trying this kind of stuff for years now, and they're trying to seed the waters and have you know curated screenings and endorsers that come out and you do a dinner or you do an event with a, an Academy member of a certain demo to reach a certain demo of voters. You do a dinner in London or a screening in London because you know there's a cluster of theater people in London that will come or whatever you're doing there. But why this one? Was it just because Mary McCormick is so connected to certain people? Was it the volume? Was it that these people were particularly famous who were doing the endorser? It was not the, you know, the 1970s star who's still an Academy member and hangs out with, with all their friends at Spago. It was Jennifer Aniston and Kate Blanchett and people that are big, big movie stars. So was that the difference? What was the deciding factor here, you think? I think, I mean, there's part of it that you never want to take away from what it, what, it, what it was initially. And what it is initially is it's a really powerful performance by a really outstanding actress, right? So you can't manufacture that. All the spending and money in the world isn't going to make something great that wasn't great to begin with. So it is, it, it is all those things, right? You basically... The idea of having people around you with a Rolodex like that, that are willing to kind of go to bat for you is something that is kind of unheard of. And you also realize these are working actors too. So that was always kind of the hard part when you're campaigning is getting working actors to really take a moment and watch stuff because they're on set. So you used to do set screenings. You used to try and get DVDs to people on set because you want to engage them. And the, and the working actors have such great appreciation for what this performance was. So it's a mixture of all those things. It's a mixture of what she actually put out there, the relationship she, she had, and she had behind her a bunch of people that really felt that this was not getting seen and it wasn't getting its due and were willing to kind of go out there and kind of pound the pavement for her. So, and kind right. of do that, which is definitely an unheard of thing. I mean, you would have people, remember they used to write op-eds about this performance. It's like trying to like show people that they were champion. It's a ha we were always saying, find your champions, right? You watch a movie, you figure out what the hook is going to be. What is it about this? Is it just a performance? Is it the whole thing? Is it just below the line? Like, what is it that people are going to attach themselves to? Yeah, the narrative. The best Oscar campaigns have a narrative behind them. Correct. And then you figure out what that is and you find your champions and who are your champions. And she happened to have the biggest voting branch champions behind her, which is somewhat, you know, like you can't buy that. It's pretty impressive. And people have to generally people like this is an authentic thing. This isn't people doing something because they felt like they had to or they were part of something and kind of you can also feel when people somewhat put themselves out there. It's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll be supportive and I'll go do a lunch and whatever. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, every season there are those people <laughs> like Guillermo del Toro. He, he's the nicest guy in the world and will do it for anyone. He'll host a screening. He'll do a panel that, but there are others that you're like, oh, okay. This is the movie that Paul Thomas Anderson likes. Yeah. You've 
probably been to, if I'm guessing, as have I, as a lot of people that listen to this, you have been to those lunches. You could go to a breakfast, lunch, and a dinner and see the exact same Academy members at all three of these things for all different stuff. Not for the same movie, not for uh, the same you, you know the through line, though? Free food. <laughs> free food. They love free, love free food and love to feel courted. And by the way, seeing an early screening is always great too. Like people want to kind of be the one to say, oh, I saw this before it was in theaters. There's a lot of reasons people come out. Some people do it for the camaraderie. There are people who are just Academy members who do love being around their crew of people. And it's great. Yeah. And it's, or it's date night with their wife. You know, that's, this is their social lives from October through February. And there's a million of those great reasons that I remember for years in training and doing this was like, but who actually came out? Who was actually there? Was it the same list of people that you've seen at all these places? And then you would see people, different people and new people, and they would get different voices out there. And that idea of like having a packed Academy screening isn't the barometer. It's who is actually in that room and who is talking about it. And if you go to enough of these and you see that, I mean, I am sure her team and the people around her are very surprised but also in a way, and I wasn't in those rooms, but there's got to be a feeling, and I've had it before, where I've worked on campaigns, and no one's talking about a movie, and it's a small little thing, and it's never, and there's a big behemoth that's coming in, and no one's going to watch yours, and all of a sudden, you start going to these events and Q&As, and you see the questions people are asking, the conversations people are asking, they reach out to you after, I'm like, what can I do to be supportive, because they have now adopted this campaign as their own. Yeah, it's like a political campaign. I mean, you I have your that. endorsers, you have the people, you know, all of a sudden you're going to get Katy Perry to endorse you to get young people. You're going to get a prominent pastor for a certain uh, you know, demographic that you want. You're going to like, it's the same thing in Hollywood. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing when trying to explain to people because it's a great parallel there. The, the interesting thing here is that you talk about what you're essentially saying is authenticity. This felt authentic. And it yeah. felt like these actors who were endorsing, it sort of came out of nowhere and they were authentically behind this movie. But yes. there was a campaign. I mean, this was not something that Kate Winslet stumbled upon one day and decided to do it. The filmmaker and his wife, Mary McCormick, were out there hustling and they have two publicity firms. They had Shelter and Narrative who were out there hustling, trying to get this. I mean, it's still- And let's also not forget, she's represented by CAA and she also has entitled in there. Yeah, Jason Weinberg is her manager and he's very connected. Jason Weinberg knows what he's doing and CAA does screenings with their town. But look, I've had CAA screenings with a million clients or WME screenings. Like you have them but it still has to connect. But yes, you know, you have a lot of very powerful, well-connected, big Rolodex people that were supportive. So if you are the team behind uh, Danielle Deadweiler, who is the actress in Till, who many pundits believed would get that fifth nomination for Best Actress and did not get nominated today, uh, what kind of a conversation are they having? Not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's probably saying, "Where was my Andrea Riseborough campaign? You know, what what were you doing? What who were you getting to endorse me?" Yeah, I think that conversation is definitely happening. It certainly wasn't a lack of marketing. You know, they certainly she did all the right things. She showed up at all the events. They ran ads. They did the whole campaign, and then they get beaten by the social media campaign. 
Yeah, but you know, it's one of the, yeah, and it is. And there's probably some people will look at it and be like, so-and-so shouldn't have gotten nominated and she should have, and not just in that category, but probably other categories. And it, it is not like, and that's politics too. Like it isn't, you could have been the way the system is. I mean, she could have been beaten by who knows how many votes or what were out there and how close she really was to getting there. Like nobody, it's only waited for, you know, best picture. So who knows? From Academy Award winner Stephen Zalian. This is what I do for a living. Top critics agree Netflix's Ripley is masterful, sumptuous, and suspenseful. He's a liar. It's his profession. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ripley is the finest thing TV has offered in many years. The Guardian gives it five stars and raves. Andrew Scott is absolutely spellbinding. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series, Ripley. I like the name. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm going to be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, Feeling thirsty right now? How about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax. Participating U.S. stores see app for full terms. All rights reserved. Can you go too far in this stuff? I, I always cite the year. I don't think you were involved. The Eddie Redmayne campaign for Theory of Everything. Were you involved in that? I wasn't on Theory. No, okay. I was on the other side. I was on the, I think, the invitation side. That was the year where literally Eddie Redmayne showed up to the opening of any envelope and would shake hands with any person, do any media interview, and it worked. He won. Got nominated and won. He was an unknown actor mostly before that. And I wonder if there is ever concern among in these campaigns of doing too much. Or maybe, you know, maybe don't have that last screening with Amy Adams. Is that going to turn people off? Whatever it was, like, do you, do you fear that sometimes? It, you definitely can turn people off and look too eager and look too hungry. That is always, that is always a concern. And it certainly happens to people. And maybe it didn't happen that year when so-and-so won. But the next time, it definitely has a backlash to it where people start having that conversation of like, oh, this seems a little... Thursday for a long, right. a better phrase. It definitely is. You have to be smart and measured and not go to everything and not, and it is so easy when you're in it. If you, it's your first go around to it to kind of get intoxicated by all of it. And hopefully you have a smart team around you. That's like, you don't actually need to be everywhere and do everything. You have to do <laughs> stuff. Like you kind of hope there are those people there that are saying to you, Here's the smart. And so that's the idea. The strategy is really, strategy is such an important part of this. And whatever that strategy, the strategy starts when you see the movie for the first time. And it might be that the strategy is, we're going to go for it, but I don't know if we're going to connect. Or the strategy is, this is a performance thing, or this is a blue line, and we really have a song thing. Having that strategy in mind before you go into it, and then building that strategy is a smart 
strategy. You don't need to be everywhere and go to everything and present everywhere and have a thousand screenings. It's having the smart stuff. And this was yeah. And if you're unknown, it helps to do more. Like I feel like Austin Butler is in that mode right now where, you know, he's worked for a long time, but he's now introducing himself to many of these people for the first time. They don't necessarily know anything about him. And I remember back the year that Argo premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, I went to the after party and was talking to Ben Affleck. And I was like, so are you guys going to go for it? He's like, we're going to go for it. We're, we're yeah. doing it. We're go, we're, I'm doing it all, whatever I need. And he did. He was everywhere. He was every, you know, but it's, it depends. It's like, there's a smart, there is a smart way of kind of doing that. Some people, the strategy is, well, they've never won and whatever, but, it, but that's kind of been played out. Creating your own strategy based on what you have and not trying to recreate another strategy that worked is what is really important. Like the strategy should be a little very personal. So last question, does this change Oscar campaigns forever? Are we going to see a million grassroots, social media driven, star driven campaigns next year and beyond? Well, like I said, I think people are going to try and replicate it because that's mm -hmm. what people do. Um, but you hope people are more original in that. I don't think it's so, <laughs> here's the thing. It's not so different from what we it were just worked when VHS tapes were sure, the yeah. or DVDs were. It's just that a grassroots campaign and people being supportive of a performance for an actor or whatever it is that they love isn't so new. On this scale is kind of interesting. The names of people that were supportive and were out there and hosting screenings and moderating panels and doing this for her, that's what's mind-blowing. It does reinforce this notion that Hollywood is a club and it, you know, it, if, you if you are connected and you can use your connections to get ahead, then you are ultimately going to push someone out like a Daniel Deadweiler who did not have those connections and did not get the nomination. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I kind of agree with that. I think it was, you know, you can have all the connections in the world and we've seen it and I'm not going to play that game. But you've seen spend. I yes. have seen spend. I have seen, <laughs> I have never worked for this play and people who know me will be like, no, of course we always spend. Like, Never that kind of money. It was all the people had fantasies of, you know, money that was spent on campaigns and been on and all that stuff. Like, it has always been like, you know, scratching and flying and trying to get stuff for free. So I've generally been on the, you know, it's funny now working on shows like Yellowstone, all this stuff. And it's like, you see billboards, that's so crazy. I've never talked that before. So, yeah. but you can spend and you can do this and still not get it. Um, you can have, you know, the most powerful people below the line who are connected to all this stuff and still not get there. At the end of the day, this was something that I think actors championed because they saw a performance that was worthy of people looking at and talking about and recognizing, and it wasn't going to get, it didn't have the theatrical play, it didn't have the streaming play, it didn't have it. And I do think the non-cynical side of me is like, I think it came from a good place of people saying, this is impressive and really having coffee. It felt talk. like a true discovery. But that's what the internet is now, right? It's like people having this stuff. And that's why TikTok, oh, I went and bought this t-shirt because I saw it on TikTok, whatever that is. Right. It's, it only works if it's 
if it's truly that good. And I think she just truly gave a great performance that people wanted to rally around. And unfortunately, some people ended up on the shirt end of the stick of it. But I don't think it's because it's this old boys club type of thing. And that if you're in, you're in, if you're out, you're out. I think it's that, you know, she happens to have a year where people felt they wanted to actually stand up and say something, which is just so great, but it's (laughs) great. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Danny Weinstein, for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Good luck with Yellowstone and all the other shows. Thank you so much. Talk soon. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Craig, were you up early for the Oscar noms this morning? I was up early to fly back from Sundance. <laughs> so was I, although I had to get up early to read the nominations, go on Morning Joe and talk about the nominations, and then go to the airport to come back from Sundance. I did not have to be on TV. Maybe one day. I always liked that pressure situation of doing TV right after awards nominations come out because you just have to cram. Like, okay, what what happened here? I was like, oh, Tom Cruise did not get nominated. Bummer. Andrea Riseborough got nominated. There's the story. Like, you just sort of see the stories emerge from the list of nominees. Babylon snubbed. Babylon, oh, such a bummer. Yeah. Academy. Someday people will come to their senses and say that was a that was a modern classic. It only makes us stronger. I know. I know. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Oscar night. We're gonna have an alternative ceremony just for <laughs> Babylon fans. <laughs> well, I'll dress up. Uh, yeah, it'll be an orgy. All right. Uh, my prediction. So, if you want real Oscar predictions and you want a full breakdown, go to the Big Picture podcast. Uh, Fantasy and and Amanda. They have great breakdown of all the nominations. So we're not going to do that on this show. We're just going to talk about Best Picture because I do have a prediction on Best Picture and it's a little different than what I thought before. I was pretty sure that Top Gun would get a director nomination and that Tom Cruise would get an actor nomination. I was wrong on both of those fronts. Joe Kaczynski did not get nominated. Cruise did not. So I just don't think the support is there for a Best Picture win for Top Gun. I'm going to go with everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. 11 noms. Got nominations in categories I did not think it would get nominations in. It got you know almost the entire cast, the principal cast got nominated. I, I think this is now the movie to beat. And the Daniels, the two directors got nominated. I mean, this movie has a real momentum to it. It feels like the movie of the year. It, it exceeded expectations more than any other movie, I think, in the best picture category. True, both financial and creative. I don't think they'll win director, though. I think that will either go to Spielberg as sort of a career capper milestone win for him, or I could see Martin McDonough winning. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at Banshees of Inishirin, nine nominations. Like the Academy really likes this movie. And if there's a number two behind Everything Everywhere right now for Best Picture, I would probably say Banshees. I think I would agree with you. I have a question about, I never understood why Oscar votes, Oscar voters not having time to see the movie or not for some reason being able to see the movie. I never understood why that was a major factor in nominations. Like how, how are well, these You can only vote not- for what you see. I mean, you should be, you should be watching everything you vote for. And people are busy. If they're working actors or they're working directors, like there's a, you know, there's a lot of movies to see. I mean, how many people have that time? But isn't that a flawed system? Shouldn't it, shouldn't it be set up so that people who vote actually watch the movies? How, how is this an issue? Like, oh, well, they probably didn't see to, to Leslie. Yeah, I mean, they have had systems in the past where for certain categories, you have to go to Academy screenings and sit down and you know, go through each of the movies. And that is for that specific problem. 
people were just voting. Like there was always a joke in the old days that whichever of the short films were about the Holocaust <laughs> would win because nobody actually watched the short films. They just voted for the one about the Holocaust because they thought it was important. Yeah, I just, it, it never made sense to me that like peop, voters not seeing the movies is a factor in who who gets nominated. That just is, it seems so backwards. I should say that there are a lot of Academy voters that take this very seriously and watch everything. And I talk to them and they have very strong opinions and they spend their entire holiday season just movie after movie. They like it. This is why they got into the business and they take their responsibilities seriously. And then there's a lot of people who don't. I'm going to hand deliver Babylon to everyone's house in the Academy. <laughs> you and me both. We're going to go on a crusade. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank Danny Weinstein for coming on the show. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.